second Peter chapter one, starting from verse twelve. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Thanks, Don. I meant to mention to you before, but Robin Tame, who is part of our 8.30 congregation, is in hospital and suffering again from vertigo. Apparently, Robin's been there since Wednesday, so remember her and Ray. Ray is with us this morning, um, and I assume they're still find, trying to find out the cause of what's causing this horrible experience. I know a little bit about what it's like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you that through it we can have not just truth revealed to us, but have assurance, assurance of our salvation in the Lord Jesus. We ask that you might enlighten us about the truths of this passage and that you might influence and impact our lives as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus for his glory. In his name we pray. And everyone said... We're working our way through 2 Peter. We've done the 1 Peter series and uh, we were going to do something else but we've reversed those now. Uh, Peter is nearing the end of his life. He's now a senior and in fact in this passage the Lord has revealed to him that he will soon depart, that he'll leave this life. And because he knows that he's about to exit, it, just to remind you, at the end of last week we spoke about verse 11, uh, that if we do these things and uh, make every effort to confirm our calling and uh, have assurance of our salvation in Jesus, then we will receive a rich welcome when we enter into the kingdom. A rich welcome. And by that he means a welcome which is an abundant one. That it's like the athletes returning from Japan, you know, Tokyo. That there'll be a rich entrance for them, would be crowds lining the, the streets or whatever and clapping and cheering and that's a rich welcome that you've been received back and you're being honoured for your faithfulness. As opposed to just sort of sneaking in and nobody noticing. The Bible seems to indicate there are those different sorts of entrances that won't be the same for all of us. And Peter is concerned that the Christians, the believers he's writing to, might be able to have that wonderful experience of to finish their life and hit the tape and to enter into glory. 
and to hear the Lord Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. He writes the first letter, as we said, to primarily deal with disciples living in this fallen world and how do we follow him? The opponents are outside the church. Persecution is on the rise and in fact, Peter will lose his life through persecution, becoming a martyr. When he writes the second letter, some time has passed, not a long time, not years and years, but perhaps one or two years, and now he's writing to the same group of people and inviting them to stay true to the gospel, stay true to following Jesus, because now the opponents are not just outside the church, but they're now inside the church. False teachers and false prophets, and we'll read more about that in chapter 2 and in following weeks. So how do we stay true in the church? And he has told us in the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 to 11, which is what we looked at last week, we stay true by, by continuing to grow in the Lord Jesus, staying true to him and to his word. The Bible contains for us truth, absolute truth, true in all situations and circumstances of life. For instance, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. That's absolute truth. I am the way to salvation, I am the truth about God and I am the life that he gives and imparts eternal life. He's the only way and we need to stay true to him. Don't depart, don't be distracted. That's the message of 2 Peter. Just to remind you, and I know you know this is the case, but I can support it statistically, we all die. No one gets out alive. So the question becomes, because we are going to die, death is certain, we don't know when, it could be decades away, it could be days away. We know that, we know it's uncertain and we know we don't know when it will happen. And most of us don't want to know when it's going to happen, we'd rather just live our life and live it as best we can and then to go to sleep and not wake up. Amen? It's a nice way to go, isn't it? But we don't all have that opportunity, we all die. And so Peter, in the light of that, is writing to say, well then, how do you live and die well? How do you live and finish well? That's primarily the issue that he's addressing in this chapter and we need to address our own mortality and it's, oh, it sounds depressing and morbid to do so, it's in fact very healthy for us to do so. Um, when you go to a lawyer, you see time is incredibly important and when you're paying for time, then it gives you a focus. When you go to a lawyer, they charge you every six minutes. And every six minutes, I don't know what they charge you, I'm going to say $50. Every six minutes, they'll charge you $50. And when you go and see a lawyer, you're focused. You're not, well, what did you think of the game last night and how's the weather? And, and no, I'm here for a reason, I'm here for a purpose and I want to know what it is. Well, death has that same focus for us. I don't think there'd be anybody in the room who hasn't experienced the death of a loved one or a close one or something like that. And if not a loved close one, then you certainly know of people, friends or whatever, who have passed away. And you know what impact that can have upon you. Particularly the closer they are to you, it has a way of shredding life of the peripheral and focusing of what's important. And that's Peter's experience. He's coming up for this end-of-life experience because the Lord has revealed it about him. So we are to embrace our mortality, certainly. We are creatures of time, but we are bound for eternity. I like this expression. We live in the land of the dying. We think we live in the land of the living. We don't. 
We live in the land of the dying. We proceed to the land of the living. This life is temporary. I know you know it, but it's good to be reminded of it. So how we live and spend our time, how do we do it in such a way that it'll count for eternity? It'll count for that rich entry into glory. Well, let's read 2 Peter chapter 1 again and have a look at Helps if you turn this beast on. Peter says, so I, always, I will always remind you. He begins with so. That's like a, a therefore, for this reason. He's just spoken about the, uh, the rich entry into heaven. And because of that, he says, so therefore I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and you're already established in them. They've got it. They understand it. They know these truths. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you again. Peter says, and I'm going to keep on telling you because we need to be reminded. Why? Because we forget. If you were in church last Sunday or if you watched it online, do you remember what I taught you? <laughs> Truth be told, I have trouble remembering myself and I taught it. I can remember maybe more than you because I wrote it and spoke it but the recall is not high. And in fact, the statistics for re retention are quite depressing. I'll come to those later on. So I'll always remind you of this, Peter says, verse 13, I think it right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Verse 14, because I know that I will soon put it aside, put aside the tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Peter's had some sort of experience, some sort of revelation from Jesus where he's saying, get ready, your time is coming. Remember the time in John 21, Jesus by the beach just after the resurrection and he takes Peter for a walk and Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you three times. And then Peter reminds, uh, Jesus reminds Peter and says, um, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and go wherever you wanted. When you are old, which he wasn't when Jesus said it in John 21, but which he is now, when you are old, somebody else will dress you and somebody else will lead you by the hand and take you where you don't want to go. And John tells us, by this, Jesus was telling Peter by what sort of death he would glorify God. Peter would be crucified, upside down according to tradition. Because I know that I'll soon put off, put this aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. So Jesus has again given some update, some fresh revelation. Peter, time's coming. And I'll make every effort, Peter says, <clears throat> I'll make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things in this these few verses peter has said in verse 12 he says i want to remind you verse 13 i want to refresh your memory in verse 15 so you'll always be able to remember it's about reminding and remembering and recalling and repeating that's one of the points he makes and so we'll talk about that the other point he makes is about himself as long as i live in this tent verse 13 or as I'm going to put it aside in verse 14, or even here in verse 15, after my departure. He talks about, my life here is coming to an end. I'm in a tent and I'm about to put the tent aside. There are a couple of truths, I think, for us that we can reflect on and learn from this. Number one, let's live with heaven in mind. Let's live with the understanding that death is coming and that after death, for the believers, heaven Peter knew that. He knew it from John 21. I just told you about that. He knew it from, he says here in verse 14. But he knows it just generally, like we do. 
the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 that it is appointed unto everyone to die once. It's been appointed. Your days have been numbered. And there's a limited number um, that God has given to us. And in fact, in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon, and we worked through Ecclesiastes a few months back now, Solomon says, and I remind you, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Do you agree? Do you rather go to a funeral or a party? We want to go to parties, don't we? We want to enjoy ourselves. But Solomon says it's better, in fact, for us to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Death is the enemy of everyone. The living should take this to heart. And he says in verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Sometimes it does us good to reflect upon our own mortality. It happens when you get sick. You suddenly start thinking about what's really important. That's basically what Peter is saying to us here. Live with heaven in mind. Let that be the filter and the focus of the decisions that you make in the here and now. And to do that, I mean, as I look around this morning... We're in most of us, not all of us, but most of us are in middle life. Some of us are beyond middle life. There are a couple here who are in the first trimester of life, but most of us are in the last trimester. So this is easy for us. We think, oh, well, that's normal. It increases on our agenda, doesn't it? As you get older, you know what you talk about more? Health. I know more about the human body now than I ever knew before. <laughs> Why? Because my body is slowly falling apart. It's like a tent. It's getting older. And so, but this is true for people in their 20s, people in their 30s. If you gave yourself a self-check card, scoring at 1 to 5, where would you put yourself? Yes, I do this. I reflect on my life and my life's end, the temporal temporality of my life, however you say that word. Thinking it, like I said before, brings a, a sharp focus to us, like going to visit the lawyer. So let's live with heaven in mind, which means live knowing it's temporary. Peter talks about this tent. Our body is like a tent. It's not permanent. I'm not into camping, but let's just do a quick show of hands. Who loves camping? Oh, a lot of you. Who doesn't like camping? Yeah, not many of you, but some, half a dozen or so. Right, for those who like camping, now even for those of you who don't like camping, you can participate in this bit. Let's have a show of hands. Who likes camping in a tent? Look at those sick people. <laughs> About ten a dozen, something like that. You go for the tent. Who likes to go for the caravan? Still got a share and a toilet and a caravan. A bit more. Who likes going for the cabin? That's me. I'm in that category. Minimum three star, that's getting rough. I don't want to go any rougher than that. Well, Peter uses the analogy of something very common in his world about living in a tent. We don't live in tents, do we? We live in homes and apartments, houses and places. But back in the first century, tents were very common, particularly in Israel. Soldiers had them all over the place. Um, numerous examples common in the earth. Nomads travelling around. Even the Apostle Paul, that was his trade. He was a tent maker was a business of the way that he supported himself. Our tents, our bodies, contain the real us, our spirit and soul, our personality, the real us. 
but our tents, our bodies, remind us that they are not permanent, they're flimsy. But when you live in a tent, and I have camped in a tent, and the reason I don't like it is because it was a horrendous experience. On the very first tent time I stayed in a tent, I mean, I did it when I was a kid, and that was fun. But when I did it, as in my late teens, early 20s, probably at university, and we went on a Christian camp somewhere, and we were tenting it. And on the night that we tended it, I put the mattress right up against the edge of the tent. Yeah, well, those in the know, you know what happened. It rained and I got wet. And apparently you're supposed to dig a trench around the edge of the tent. Well, it'd be helpful if someone tells you this information. Anyway, because of that, I just hated the experience. I've never forgotten it and so I don't like it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, that's beside the point. Living in a tent... You can't take everything with you. My mum and dad used to love camping. They lived in a small country town, but they loved getting out of the house and going out to the river where they would stay for a weekend, three or four days, whatever. And they bought a tent. They bought a shower. They bought a loo. They bought a little stove. They could pack up their goods and shackles and live out there for three or four days. I mean, home was 10 minutes away, but as far as they were concerned, they were in the bush and loving it. That was my dad. He would love to do that. But you can't take everything with you, can you? You've got to make choices. Well, living in a tent does that for us. Helps us, having that mindset helps us to remember to simplify our life. Our body, like a tent, is temporary. The threads unravel. The flaps get torn and can fray. As the tent gets older, it gets thinner. It fades. It gets a little looser in the connections. We, of course, want our tents to last forever. We get our flaps lifted up. We get our threads dyed, re-dyed, to make it look younger and stronger. How's my tent looking this morning? <laughs> James tells us, did you see the fog this morning? What is your life? It's a vapour, it's a mist, it's a fog. It's here, and then it's gone. That's what life is like, and that's certainly what Peter is saying to us. What did Jesus say to us in John chapter 14? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many tents. No, he didn't. In my Father's house there are many mansions, dwelling places. Death is moving day, and you move from a tent and you move to a mansion, you move to an apartment overlooking the Garden of Eden. How about that? Something more permanent, something solid. Peter is saying, live with that in mind. Let that be the focus, the filter of the decisions you make in the here and now. This is how you live well, as for him and to his glory. Hmm. And just before I go on to another application, <clears throat> how do you live well? Well, you live with heaven in mind and you live knowing life is temporary. <clears throat> Did you know that you can decorate your apartments in heaven now? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and rust and thieves break in and steal, but rather store up treasure in heaven. That's you investing in your apartment. That's you sending pictures and carpet and all sorts of things by your investments you make in the here and now. Understand? If you don't, we'll move on. 
How else do we live well in this life? Peter says, well, you live for others. It's implied in the statements that he gives here that his, his focus and his energy is on them. It's not on himself. I want to remind you. I want to refresh your memories. I want you to be able to recall and remember these truths. His focus is on others. How do we live well? Same. Focusing on others. To be motivated and committed to serving others. There's a couple of ways he gives us in this passage that we can do it. Give reminders. He says in verse 12, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and you are fully established in the truth that you now have. I will always remind you. I will never get beyond the stage of repeating truth for you. Have you ever had the experience, and you have, I've heard that before. But that's a good thing. The Apostle Paul warns us that in the latter times, people will have itching ears and they will desire to always be hearing something new, something different, something fresh, because they want to be entertained. They don't want to be fed and fueled and equipped for life. No, our focus as followers of the Lord Jesus should be to edify, to build up, to strengthen, to reinforce. Even though you know these things, it's good to be reminded of them. Why? Because we forget. You would have been reading your Bible, I certainly had this experience. It happens in other books as well, but in my Bible, I read my Bible, and I think, oh yeah, I've even underlined it, but I'd forgotten it. Part of the process of living in this life, I guess. Uh, in fact, I like, I can remember when I was at Theological College of our lecturing, preaching, talking about an African-American preacher, that he had three points when he preached, and this is what he used to say. He wasn't highly educated, nor do the people he was talking to were highly educated, but he was a brilliant communicator, brilliant preacher. And what were the three points that he had in all of his message? He said, number one, first I tells them what I'm going to tell them. Second point, then I tells them. Third point, then I tells them what I told them. Repeat, repeat. Look at the study of the life of Jesus. Look at his life. He repeated himself in his teaching, in his parables, in his sermons. He says it again and again and again. And in fact, some people want, some scholars, critical scholars, want to say that uh, Matthew contradicts Mark or Luke because the sayings are different. No, it's different context. Look at the context and you'll find out Jesus is saying the same thing or a very similar thing, but in a different context. He repeated himself over and over and over to drive truth home. Look at Solomon in Proverbs or David in the Psalms. Themes are repeated. The Bible is one long story, but it has a repeat of truths over and over and over and over again, all the way through. Why? Because a good teacher will repeat themselves over and over again. Let me say that again. A good... No, I won't say that again. We forget. I told you before, the retention statistics are not great. Anything from 5 to 15... You will remember 5 to 15% of what you hear this morning. That's not high, is it? Five to fifteen percent. And for those of you who are intently listening and focused, maybe even taking notes, you may even get up to twenty percent. Not a lot. Some experts want to say that if you hear it twice, you hear it live and then you hear it again repeated, however, where it's on a CD or a podcast or whatever, uh, that it'll go up again by another five percent or something like that. We do not retain a lot of what we hear. But those same experts tell us, if you hear it, see it, and then do something about it, 
the retention rate goes up again. It can go above 25%, it can almost get up to 40%, depending on context and interest and whatever the topic is for you and so on. Hear it, see it, write it down and do something about it, talk about it. I find that true for me. If I talk about it, that helps me to retain it. But if I don't talk about it, I tend to forget it. So talk about it over coffee this morning. Talk about it in your connect groups. Talk about it on the way home in the car. Talk about it. Repeat truth over and over and over. Read your Bible and underline it and revisit it. So on. Give reminders. Somebody once said to me, I may have told you this before, um, and I do this sometimes. I don't do this all the time. Um, because I'm a biblioph bibliophile, I love books. I particularly love hard-covered books. Some of them, my prized little idols, I don't like to mark. I like to keep them pristine. But the vast majority of my books are tools that I can use and underline and scribble in the margin and, and so on. The best way somebody taught me, and I think it's true, the best way to read a book, read it through once, underline the bits you like or however you want to mark it. Second time you read it, highlight the underlined bits that you like. Third time you read it, just read the highlight bits. So you underline this much, you highlight this much, you read the third time this much. That's how you should read a book. That will increase your retention rate. No extra cost for that information this morning. That's one thing you can do, give reminders, and we should do that. Peter says, in fact, in verse 13, that he wants to stir them up. The word he gives is an interesting word, and the application to us is important. At home, and your home, I'm sure, is exactly the same. In our lounge room, um, we've got these large windows, and on days like today, if you open the blinds and the sun pours in, you can sit on the couch and feel very relaxed and quite tired and go to sleep in the light. We as Christians can go to sleep in the light. It comforts us. Our fallen world, we tend to forget things. So we need to be reminded, the word Peter uses is stir you up, to rouse you out of your drowsiness, to remind you, to help you to recall and to get on with it. Hmm. And so Peter says that, I want to do that. How do you live well? Give reminders in however which way you can. And third, secondly, whoops, oh, leave something behind, leave a legacy. That's what he says here, particularly in verse 15, I'm going to make every effort to make sure that when I'm gone, you'll have something that you'll be able to remember and recall these things too. Question, what are you going to be leaving behind that's going to outlive you? Interestingly for Peter, we have two of his letters that he wrote almost 2,000 years ago. We're still reading them. We're still learning from them. Perhaps that's what he meant. Some commentators think he actually meant the Gospel of Mark because Mark was with Peter and they think Mark is actually recorded Peter's preaching. That's Peter's Gospel, according to Acts chapter 10. It's a very similar outline. Maybe he meant that. We don't know exactly what he meant, but he was going to leave something for them in order to be able to recall and to remember, what are we going to leave behind? What are you going to leave behind? Leave behind your faith in the next generation, in your children, grandchildren. Leave behind an example of a well-lived life. They're great things. Make sure you have your will done. Leave that behind. That'll help those who grieve your loss. 
this saying, I'll remind you of it. When you were born, you cried and others rejoiced. When you die, you rejoice and others cry. Wouldn't it be awful if when you die, others rejoice <laughs> and you cry? Moses tells us in Psalm 90, the only psalm that we have of his, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. It's temporary. We're here for a short time. We need a heart of wisdom so that we might live well in view of eternity and with heaven in mind, knowing it's temporary. Let's live for others and leave something behind. Peter goes on to tell us two more things. To stay true to the gospel... And to pay attention to the scriptures it begins by saying i want to say to you that it, christianity is all true remember i said that the enemies on the outside are now the enemies on the inside the false teachers who were coming and the false teachers from chapter two <clears throat> in the churches that he's writing to were saying things like christianity is just another one of those made-up myths it's like the greek myths it's just fabricated it's not true and peter writes in verse 16 um, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories or myths when we told you about the coming of our lord jesus christ in power but we were eyewitnesses of his man we weren't making stuff up and he gives two proofs of that number one he says we were eyewitnesses we saw something we were there an eyewitness in the court of law gives testimony to what did you see? And Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter is saying to the Christians that he's writing to, I know it's true by my own personal experience. I saw it and I heard the voice. I saw him transfigured on the mountain. That's the story he's writing about. Jesus is in all of his glory manifest. And Peter's basically saying, I saw the preview to the movie. I saw the trailer. I saw what's coming. That's going to be repeated. We will all see Jesus transfigured when he returns in power and glory. And Peter is saying, I know it's true because I've already seen it. And not just me, but also James and John, they saw it and they testify to it, John especially. And not only did I see it, I heard it. I heard the voice. This is my subjective, personal experience of what I saw and what I heard. And not only do I have that personal experience, there's also objective truth that comes out of it. Because he says, the scriptures... We also now have the prophetic message, the scriptures, the word of God, as something completely reliable. And you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture came by the prophet's own interpretation of things. They didn't make it up. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will. It didn't come from them. But the prophet's though human, spoke from God as though I carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that word carried along is the word, it's a nautical term, which means like in a ship and you've got a sail and the, 
the wind comes and the ship is carried along by the wind, by the Spirit. The Spirit of God moved in the authors of Scripture. And Peter is saying, it's completely reliable. You can rely upon it and you should pay attention to it. And he tells us until when. <clears throat> the Scriptures, though written by 40 different human authors, are the inspired Word of God. God speaking, writing through the human authors. It's not God dictating. It's not the authors making it up. It's the marrying of the two. So God took Paul or Peter or John or whichever author it was um, and through their personality, through their experiences, through their vocabulary that they have in their mind, that he would then impart truth through them and they would write it down. So that what is written is what God wanted written, which is what gives us confidence in the Scriptures. The myths that these false teachers were propagating are quite created. They're not historically verifiable, but the stories of the Bible, the events of the Bible, are about real people in real places and they can be verified from historical research and archaeology. Not everything, but everything that has been, has been verified. Everything that can be, has been. The Bible is the Word of God. And what should we do? Pay very careful attention to it, he tells us back in verse 19. <clears throat> Pay very close attention to it, like a, a light shining in a dark place. Psalm 119 says what? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's like a torch in a dark place. Shows you the way. Brings light into the darkness. For how long? Until the day dawns. What day? That day. The new day. Glory until Jesus comes. That's how long you should pay attention to the Scriptures in this life. And the morning star that rises, the morning star used to be the planet Venus in the ancient world. That's not what he means here. But you would see that dawn was just about to come because you would see the planet Venus on the horizon. Dawn, the day is just about to start because the morning star has risen. So Jesus is coming. When Jesus appears, the kingdom is here. And until this arises in our hearts, we will be transformed when we see him as he is. So what do we need to do? Pay attention to it. An observer looked out of his, out of his window one day into the garden, into a garden, botanical gardens, and he noticed a beautiful little butterfly. And the butterfly flitted around and flew from flower to there and over to this bush and then over to that flower and then flew off. Then he observed, secondly, that a botanist came into the garden. Had his notebook and he had his magnifying glass and he went very close and he examined the details of the petals and the stems and everything else about that plant and drew pictures of it and took notes and wrote it down. Then he went off to some other one and compared it and put it all in his notebook and put his magnifying glass away and off he wandered. Thirdly, the observer noticed that a bee came into the garden. And the bee likewise went to several flowers and in the process stuck his whatever it is, removalist instrument, <laughs> deep into the flower and sucked up the nectar and the pollen. The bee came in empty, but he went out full. Question. Which way do you pay attention to the scriptures? You decide which one you are. Like a butterfly? A flitter from this passage to that passage to that passage to this book to that one. Or like the botanist, you come in and you closely examine and you take notes and you write it down and you close it up. 
Will you like the bee? Come in empty. Suck up the life that's in there and be transformed, be nourished by it, fueled by it, and your life impacted by it. Peter writes to these Christians, trying to encourage them to live well, live in the light of the fact that we will be leaving. And as um, Moses says in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, to live well in this world, knowing it's temporary. To live for others by um, reminding them of truth and of what God expects of them, as well as leaving something for them. What will you leave behind? And then Peter goes on to say, and you live well by trying, staying true to the gospel because it's true. Jesus is true. And by paying very close attention to the scriptures. That's what Peter is saying to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom that lives well, that lives with heaven in mind, fully aware that life is temporary and that we'll be held accountable. Lord, help us to live for others, for there is joy and satisfaction in serving you and them. Lord, help us to remind one another, encourage one another and stir one another up until Jesus comes. And help us, Lord, to live well and leave something of value. Be it a journal, be it notes, whatever it is, imparting faith, living a good godly example. And Lord, teach us to pay very close attention to your word until Jesus comes. We pray in his name. Amen.